1: You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, And she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this Radio show and our great guests. Please visit kuci.org/privacy.
2: This evening we have a wonderful guest coming from Washington D.C. Susan Grant is the director of consumer protection at Con- the Consumer Federation of America, which is a nonprofit association of some three hundred nonprofit consumer groups. It was established in 1968 to advance the consumer interest through research, education, and advocacy at both the state and national level. Ms. Grant works specifically in the areas of privacy, which is close to our heart, deceptive marketing, online safety, security, fraud, electronic and mobile commerce, and a general consumer protection issue, and all of the consumer protection issues. She coordinates CFA's, which is the Consumer Federation of America's Fake Check Task Force, which we're going to ask her about. And she conducts CFA's annual Consumer Complaint Survey, and she is a recognized authority on combating consumer fraud and deception. Susan Grant is also involved in global consumer protection issues through her work in the Transatlantic Consumer Dialogue. This is a group of consumer organizations in the United States and the European Union countries, and it provides input on cross-border consumer issues to the United States and European Union governments. And her, her participation in the United States government delegation to the Committee on Consumer Privacy at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So she is very involved, not only nationally, but internationally. You can learn so much more about her if you go to the website at consumerfed. Let's see, at ConsumerFed.org. So I want to thank you, Susan, for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Susan, I know you guys do such really wonderful work, and I want to thank you for all the work you do. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your fake check task force?
0: Well, fake check scams are a particular kind of fraud in which consumers are lured into accepting what look like genuine but are actually phony checks or money orders. Um, Sometimes they're told that they've won a contest, a sweepstakes, or a lottery, and this is an advance on their winnings. Sometimes they receive these checks for work that they're supposedly going to do for a company out of their homes, And one way or another, they're convinced to deposit these checks and then wire a certain amount of the money off somewhere, unbeknownst to them, to the crook. And when the check finally bounces, because it's no good, they've already sent the money and now they have to pay their banks back the money that they withdrew. So um, it's become a really huge consumer fraud problem and... um, Last year we brought together a group of interested parties, including banks, because they lose money when consumers don't have enough money in their accounts to cover these losses, and law enforcement agencies and sweepstakes companies like Publishers Clearinghouse, whose name is often used in these scams, and others who are concerned about this. And we launched a big consumer education uh, 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 awareness uh, initiative, and we also created training materials about this for banks and for law enforcement agencies. So um, the problem continues, but I think that we're making some inroads in making people aware of it and enabling them to avoid getting sneered by these scams.
2: You know, we had a young woman on our show um, along with law enforcement. They were both from Orange County. And poor thing, you know, she was laid off from a job and she was lured into, um, you know, something that she saw, I guess it was on Craigslist or something, where she could make money. All she had to do was take this check, put it into her account because it was coming from Canada, and of course then, you know, send it back to them and then she'd take a certain commission. So that's exactly what you're talking about. And poor thing, she lost all the money in her bank and more. (laughs) and uh, that she was a victim of this kind of a scam. Yes, and
0: some people are actually being prosecuted for check fraud as a result of getting caught up in these. So it's a really serious problem. We want everyone, um, people who work in financial institutions, people who work in law enforcement agencies, and consumers themselves to know about it so that we can hopefully keep more people from falling victim.
2: And, you know, the, it's the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. <laughs> That's right. But in <laughs>
0: this particular case, the stories that they give you sound so plausible. Oh, yeah. This is one of the harder things for consumers to be able to tell as a scam, and especially since... These checks look so convincing. Even a bank teller wouldn't be able to tell that they're phony.
2: Exactly. It's just the whole setup that's, that's a bit bizarre, that they have to question, why would somebody be doing this, you know? That's Why right. would they come to me? And I think you have to be savvy. The problem, I think, now is in our economy being as it is, and so many people laid off, people are desperate. And when you're desperate, you, you want to believe this kind of stuff. That's true.
0: I think the bottom line for fake checks is this. There's no legitimate reason why anybody who wants to give you a check or money order for something would ever ask you to send any money anywhere in return. That's how you can tell that it's a scam.
2: Right. That's that's a good way to think of it. I think when we talk about checks, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't even use personal checks. I'm terrified of using personal checks because of the fact that the checking um, account number, as well as the routing number, can be used to create new checks. So then you don't even have fake checks. I mean, you have a real account, but you can, again, have a fake check. So, for example, I see this all the time, Susan. Somebody will put on the check that, uh, let's say it's your checking account, but they'll put Mari Frank on your checking account, and maybe your checking account is with the Bank of America, but it'll say Wells Fargo. But it doesn't matter because when the bank runs the check, through the little reader that they have, uh, they don't even look at the check. And so the money siphoned out of your account, whether your name is on there or not. So that's another huge issue that we see with money being siphoned out. So any way you look at it, checks are dangerous these days.
0: You have to be really careful. Um, You can do a lot of your financial transactions and banking online. Of course, that's a whole (laughs) other set of cautions that perhaps we can talk about in another show. Yeah. Um, But whatever you do, you have to be careful of your personal information. That's for sure.
2: Right. So I always tell people, look, the safest thing, if you want to use a credit card and you pay your credit cards off all the time and you don't carry a balance, then that's really the safest. Because if there is any fraud, you're not going to be held responsible. But checks and debit cards are really quite dangerous and you don't want to be carrying around cash and you can't always care, you know, carry cash. So you're right. Online banking, if you take all the precautions, are best. So we can talk about that later. Let's talk a little bit about your annual com- consumer complaint survey. That's a, that's a neat thing that you do as well. It is. Um, this is a survey
0: that we do with state and local consumer protection agencies around the country. Um, for instance, in California, Um, One of the agencies that participates is the California Department of Consumer Affairs. Uh, And um, what we attempt to do in this survey is um, uh, create a national snapshot of the kinds of problems that consumers are asking for help with. Um, This year, when we were asking about uh, agencies' 2008 complaints, we added some questions, particularly about the bad economy, to try to find out if that was having some impact on the kinds of complaints that they were getting. And uh, it turned out that it did have quite an impact. First of all, um, many of the agencies said that they were getting more complaints about smaller amounts of money than ever before. And that's because these days I think nobody can afford to lose a dime. A complaint about a relatively small issue that you might have just um, decided not to bother with before suddenly looms larger when money is tighter. And also the fastest growing complaint that many agencies cited um, was about aggressive debt collection tactics. Again, no surprise considering the tough economic situation that many people are in. And the worst complaints that um, many of the agencies uh, gave us examples of had to do with uh, bogus uh, mortgage foreclosure rescue scams or loan modification uh, offers, Um, taking advantage of people who are already down by uh, making false promises to them that you're going to be able to save their home, taking their last dime and leaving them worse off than they were before.
2: Yeah, these are vultures taking advantage of people who are so vulnerable and so desperate. And we see those all the time. uh, It is very, very sad and, and tragic. Again, in the economy, I think we probably see more consumer complaints. Isn't that true?
0: That's right. And so um, it will be interesting when we do the survey next year to see if anything has changed in terms of the kinds of complaints that agencies are receiving. I should say also that it enables us to take a look at the challenges that these agencies themselves face. State and local agencies are financed. Uh, their government agencies, they're financed, um, like all government agencies, mostly on um, tax revenue that goes into the state or county coffers. Um, they don't charge fees for their services. And many of them have experienced significant budget cuts in the last year that has resulted in staff layoffs, um, uh, no more uh, travel to training programs, uh, elimination of consumer education and other really badly needed programs. So uh, when the economy is bad, it really affects everybody.
2: Right, and so that the help that they would even be able to ask for from a an agency that pr- provides free advice, even they are hurting so that they have less opportunity, less resources to even help these people. That's
0: absolutely right.
2: Oh, goodness, it's a sad story here, that's for sure. So let, let's also talk a little bit about your Transatlantic Consumer Dialogue. That's pretty interesting when you think what a small world we have and how we buy things from all over the world, and especially our friends in the consumer's union, so uh, the uh, European Union, rather. So tell us about what you do there.
0: Well, the Transatlantic Consumer Dialogue um, was created at the time when um, the US and Europe were formalizing a mechanism to uh, cooperate with each other on transatlantic regulatory and uh, other um, economic issues. And the idea was that um, there would be uh, uh, sort of side organizations that would feed into that process. One is the Transatlantic Business Dialogue. The other is the Transatlantic Consumer Dialogue. There was for a time a Transatlantic Legislative Dialogue. The Transatlantic Business Dialogue has been kind of on and off, and and it's um, ramped up again, but for a while it was more abundant. Really, the Transatlantic Consumer Dialogue is the only one that's been going steadily, and um, we meet, all of us, once a year. Um, And we do our work otherwise by phone and by email. Thank God for uh, technology, (laughs) which makes bridging um, the Atlantic so much easier. And um, we uh, create uh, policy papers um, and recommendations on a number of different issues. Uh, It's um, fascinating work. It's interesting to see how many things we have in common, but also there are some interesting differences and sensitivities um, in uh, various countries in Europe compared to the United States. Um, but it's a consensus organization, so we we try to reach um, common positions on things and then transmit that information to government and um, ask them for a response and, and hopefully uh, just try to ensure that as the U.S. and Europe look at how to improve cross-border commerce. That they keep the consumer and consumer protection uppermost in mind.
2: There's a lot of privacy issues with regard to these trans-border commercial uh, enterprises as well, because we have a whole different privacy format. And you know, in our country, most of the time, you your uh, sensitive information. Except for financial information, a lot of your information can be shared, and in you know, unless we opt out. But in the European Union, there has to be prior consent for most sharing of information. Isn't that correct?
0: You're right. There is a big difference, and we have um, been uh, historically um, involved in um, producing a lot of uh, policy papers on privacy related subjects. Um, We're working right now um, uh, on the issue of behavioral tracking and targeting. This is um, uh, tracking your every click on the internet um, to try to create a profile of you that can then be used for marketing purposes and who knows what else. Um, It's a big issue here in the U.S., but it's also increasingly becoming an issue in europe because despite the fact that europe has some very strict laws as you point out um, everything is global now technology is um, being used in ways that people didn't necessarily foresee you can't necessarily tell Um, if a particular computer user is in a particular country. And so um, these issues um, increasingly need to be dealt with in some sort of um, uh, uniform or similar uh, uh, fashion. And uh, that's what we're trying to encourage.
2: Well, that sounds like it's a big job, since there's so many different perspectives in in our country. We are struggling with that right now about that's this right. target marketing. So that's 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 exciting stuff that you're doing. We're speaking right now with a wonderful consumer advocate, Susan Grant, who is the director of the Consumer Pro- of Consumer Protection at the Consumer Federation of America, and she's located in Washington D.C. and coming to us tonight. And I'd like you to tell our audience a little bit more about your mission for the Consumer Federation of America, and especially with regard to consumer protection?
0: Well, um, I'm fortunate in that my mandate is very broad. We do have people at Consumer Federation of America who work on very specific issues, um, like financial services, insurance, product safety, uh, food safety issues. Um, And I... um, can just pick up on a lot of things that don't necessarily fall in those particular buckets, although sometimes they overlap. Um, And as you said in the introduction, um, privacy is one of the things that um, I've carved out as uh, an area of particular focus for me. And that's a very, very broad um, subject Uh, So uh, even in that bucket, I have to uh, pick and choose between lots of possible um, uh, issues to get involved with. Um, Online behavioral tracking and targeting is one. Um, Identity theft is another, and um, what I decided to do uh, last year um, was take a look at something that really no one had taken an objective look at, and that is all of these for-profit identity theft services that are springing up in advertising on television and online uh, and uh, in newspapers and other media, that they will uh, uh, protect you. Um, uh, in some cases, um, they imply that they can even keep you from um, being becoming a, a, victim. a victim, yeah. That's right. I wanted to see um, what the claims are that they make and um, develop some information for consumers about what to watch out for and, and what other resources are available to them besides these um, uh, fee-based services.
2: Right. So you you released a study of those ID theft services just recently.
0: That's right. We, res- we released the study in March of... 2009. It's called um, To Catch a Thief, our uh, identity theft services worth the cost. Um, and um, uh, we describe um, how these services work, the, um, the problems that we found in, in looking at them. We make some recommendations uh, for um, uh, addressing some of those problems. And we also have some tips for consumers.
2: Right. No, I have this study right in front of me. It's terrific. And, you know, it's a long time coming because if you put in identity theft protection or identity theft survival or whatever you want on the Internet, you are going to see literally hundreds of these companies that come out. And people call me all the time and say, Mari, which one should I choose? You know, and they hear about some of these, you know, just ad nauseum, <laughs> you know, uh, Todd Davis, who gets up on the TV and on the radio and he has his, his uh, social security number and a full page ad in the L.A. Times. I mean, these are things that are just out there and people don't know what to think.
0: No, and you know, um, actually, you know better than anybody, Mari. These days, with so many um, security breaches and other ID theft problems in the news, um, I think people have become um, more and more anxious about their potential for being victims. And, um, you know, these companies are taking advantage of that anxiety in order to sell services. Um, and, you know, that's the free enterprise system. There's nothing wrong with, um, with selling people um, services that may actually help them. But what we found in a, a lot of cases is that at least from the way that the actual services were described, um, they didn't always offer people the help and protection that they thought they were going to have. I I should um, clarify, just in case um, there's any confusion about this, that we didn't actually test the services. We um, looked at uh, the services' websites, Um, to see not only what they say on the home page, but we studied the terms and conditions and other information that they had on there. We looked at news reports. We looked at lawsuits that have been filed against some of the companies um, and advertising and um, tried to um, uh, assess, as a consumer would, shopping for these kinds of services, what is it that they're claiming.
2: Yeah. So what were some of the key problems that were uncovered?
0: Well, for one thing, many of them imply that they can prevent you from becoming a victim of ID theft. And as you know, um, that's uh, not something that anybody can promise. They may be able to help you uh, detect that you've become a victim quicker than you might otherwise find out, and they may be able to help you resolve the problem. But they can't necessarily prevent you from having your information stolen to begin with. Um,
2: And I think we should explain that to people more because a lot of consumers think, well, if I don't use my credit cards, then I'll never become a victim. But what they fail to understand is that if they don't use their credit Someone else will. (laughs) And what that means is basically that your sensitive data, especially your social security number, is in myriad databases all over the place. Your bank, your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, your, uh, you know, the credit reporting agency, so many places it is, and it's easily accessible. And so that's why even if you do everything right, you shred, you don't carry your social security number in your wallet. You never give it out. You don't give out personal information. I've had so many victims that have come to me who are very, very, very careful with their sensitive information all the time, and yet they still become victims.
0: You're right. And of course, people should be careful with their information. And there are steps that they can take to At least reduce the potential for becoming a victim, but so much of this is out of their control when their information is in the hands of others, as you say, uh, government agencies um, uh, the schools that you go to the the, the doctors um, hospitals uh, that yeah. you go to stores that you um, have relationships with, um, and other places you really don 't have control over who has access to that information either inside or from outside. And so, um, you know, things can happen where your information is stolen and um, it's not something that a company that you pay hundreds of dollars to a year for ID theft services is going to be able to prevent from happening. So that's one thing that um, we wanted to make very clear to consumers. Another problem that we found is that the services, at least on their websites, often don't make clear exactly what they do and how they work. Um, In many cases, we couldn't find even the cost of the service until you get to the page where you click to enroll. And so... um, uh, I ended up having to call many of these services, posing as a consumer, to ask questions. For instance, if they said that they uh, monitored various databases, they didn't say what databases. And maybe they monitored uh, uh, some of the credit bureaus uh, for your reports, but not others. Maybe they monitored other places, but they didn't get uh, give a good sense of that. They also didn't make clear in many cases uh, what kind of assistance they provide to victims. Victim assistance is something that all of them um, tout as one of the main benefits. But in a lot of cases, that assistance basically consists of the same kind of advice that you can get for free from the Federal Trade Commission, the ID theft Resource Center, and other places. Um, only a few of the companies that we looked at actually contact your creditors and others to help straighten the problem out for you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and so there are some real deceptive practices that come about, which I think are, are very disconcerting. And I know that Usually the Federal Trade Commission looks into deceptive practices, but, of course, they don't have the resources to do that. So it's very helpful that that you're doing this. Have you shared any of your concerns besides just this report? Have you shared any of your concerns with the Federal Trade Commission about these deceptive practices? Yes, we have.
0: Um, And we also shared the information with the National Association of Attorneys General and uh, the National Association of Consumer Agency Administrators, um, state and local um, consumer protection agencies who might also be able to take some action. Um, some of these things, I think, are bogus on their um, face. For instance, um, you mentioned LifeLock and the head of that company putting his um, – Social Social Security number out there, (laughs) something that we wouldn't recommend that people do. Right, exactly.
2: It's the opposite of what we recommend people do. That's right, (laughs) and it's
0: ironic because um, his... Uh, identity was actually stolen as a result of him doing that. Many
2: times, as a matter of fact. I think it was uh, somebody said 22 times. I've read it in the newspaper, right? Right. Uh, That's not something that they advertise. But um, (laughs) what was particularly disturbing to
0: us about um, that company, which has since changed its business model, and a couple of the other companies that we looked at, is that they based their whole operation on placing a fraud alert on consumers' credit reports, whether or not those consumers had any reason to suspect that they might be victims of ID theft, and that's what the fraud alerts are for, and um, then made um, what we thought were misleading representations to consumers about how those fraud alerts would protect them. As you probably know, Mari, uh, undoubtedly know, um, when you place that initial fraud alert on your credit report that says that you think that you might possibly be a victim of ID theft, you know, maybe you've lost your wallet or there's some other reason why you think that, um, it um, it flags your account so that um, creditors can see that, and um, they're supposed to take extra precautions. Yeah, they're supposed
2: to call you. I mean, basically it says, don't issue credit without calling me first at this number. And, of course, we tell people, put your cell phone number so that if you're out buying a car on a Sunday, you know, that they don't call your home or your office, they they call your cell phone, which you'll have right right on you.
0: Right, but as you know, the law doesn't require them to call you. It requires them to take extra precautions. And while many of them may call, there are other things that they can do, like ask for additional forms of,
2: Identification. So, um, and, so, and let me let me add something else there. Even if they, if it says you know, don't issue credit without calling me first. If they don't call you and they issue credit to a fraudster under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you don't have the right to sue them for that. That's oh, right. And only a you know an attorney general's office can do that, or the Federal Trade Commission, and they're not going to do that for one person.
0: That's right. So we felt that the. Um, that the representations that were being, that that, first of all, the fraud alert system was being abused, and secondly, that people weren't getting the protection from that that they were led to expect they would get.
2: Right, they'd rely on it, and and it wouldn't always work.
0: That's right. And and the other thing, and uh, again, you know this, but your listeners uh, may not be aware of it, is that um, only certain kinds of um, uses of your stolen information are going to show up in a credit report.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: There's a lot of other ways that your information can be used for employment, for medical services, for government benefits, and so on.
2: And you know what we it- should also mention right here, Susan, that's such an important point that, that Susan Grant's making, is that the only things that will appear on your credit report, if your imposter is doing things to you, those the things that will appear will be credit cards, credit lines, loans, bankruptcy, liens. Those are the kinds of things. But think of all the things, like Susan's saying, that won't appear. Even your... If there's check fraud, it won't appear on there. You know, that that won't appear on your credit report. Any kind of ATM fraud or bank fraud, if somebody opens up bank accounts in your name, none of that will appear. Your medical, medical identity theft will not appear on there unless there's collections. Collection accounts will appear, but not... Most of the time, the medical account that's open in your name won't appear on there. A lot of utilities are not even on there. So there is a lot of stuff that's not on there that is really not revealed by many of these companies, right? That's right. And so um,
0: one of the things that we tell people uh, if they're interested in actually purchasing some kind of identity theft service is to look for one that monitors more broadly than just your credit reports. Credit monitoring is too narrow to provide you with much value. Plus, you can look at your credit reports yourself. You, you have the right to a free copy of your credit report from each of the bureaus once a year. And, and let's get uh, that
2: website at annualcreditreport.com. When you get there, there's a free phone number, a free toll-free phone number to call as well, or you can write to them. But annualcreditreport.com, you should get all three. You have that free choice once a year to get that. So that's what Susan's talking about.
0: That's right. And even if you were to uh, want to get your credit report more often by buying it, uh, in addition to getting your your free copy once a year, um, you'd be spending less money exactly <laughs> than on some of these services. Um, so it, it's it's very important for consumers to know that um, if uh, if they're interested in ID theft services, they should look for ones that really monitor broadly and that monitor commercial databases and public records that most consumers can't easily access, um, uh, unlike your, your credit report, which is easy for you to get.
2: Let me just mention here, though, even even for some of the public records and other concerns that people have, a lot of people don't understand or don't even know, and I know you know this, Susan, but a lot of, of my audience doesn't know that they can go to choicepoint.com and, and there's another kind of consumer report that you are allowed to get for free. There's a couple of them that you're allowed to get for free once a year. And you can go to choicepoint.com and you can get your free um, clue report, which is your insurance report. If somebody's trying to get using your name to get insurance, then you'd find out about that. Or if somebody's working in your name, there's another free report you can get once a year, which is your work history. They also have public records search for free. All right, you can't get your complete criminal background check there for free, but you probably should get that at least once a year. And those will help you a lot. And then if you go to the Medical Information Bureau, com, you can also get a free, once a year, free report about the medical history that's reported by insurance companies there. So those are free that a lot of people don't know about. That's
0: right. The other thing that we say is important for people to consider is what help does the service actually give you? Does it just give you advice, which you can get free elsewhere, or does it help you by contacting whoever needs to be contacted and sticking with it until your problems are resolved? Um, You know, many people can resolve their problems themselves, most identity theft is still um, concerning stolen credit card numbers, and those are the easiest problems to resolve yourself. But if you get into a really thorny kind of problem and you feel that you uh, need somebody's help, um, you know some of these companies will do that for you, but many of them won't. And another thing to look at is whether they'll help you with Uh, identity theft problems that occurred before you signed up. Some of them will and some of them won't.
2: And that's important because some people won't even think about getting a uh, credit, uh, you know, not just credit monitoring, but won't think about these identity theft services until they do become a victim. And then if you sign up and they say, oh, well, that was already before. I'm sorry, we can't help you. Then you've wasted your money on that as well.
0: That's right, it's like a pre existing condition. Another thing that was really troublesome to us was um, uh, the claims that were made for um, how insurance, which is offered by many of these services, uh, would help consumers. And similarly, in the guarantees that some of them make, um, when you actually look at the insurance, it doesn't give you money if you've become a victim of ID theft. Do you see these advertisements for a million dollars? Well, (laughs) you know, they're not going to give you a million dollars if you're a victim. The um, the help that insurance and most of the guarantees that we saw gives you is very limited to certain out-of-pocket expenses that you may have to incur in resolving your ID theft problem, like postage, Um, a limited amount of um, time off from work, um, notary fees, and so on. And frankly, for most people, their out-of-pocket expenses for ID theft are going to be really low. Again, um, you know, there are some people, and it's a minority of people, who have such complicated ID theft problems that they have um, lots of expenses Uh, but you can't count on those expenses being covered. For instance, some of the insurance will cover lawyers' fees, but not necessarily to resolve your problems in terms of suing somebody. There, if you get sued as a result of the ID theft, they may provide some limited um, uh, reimbursement for attorney's fees. And often you have to use attorneys that they choose, not attorneys of your own choice. So there's a lot of fine print that I think consumers are just unaware of.
2: I think that's the saddest part, that, you know, the the big hype and all the great marketing that you see out there, people have no idea how little help that they get. And so many of the things that these companies say that they're going to do is really stuff that they can do for themselves for free. And in, in, in essence, really, it takes just as much time to work with some of these companies on those issues because you have to sit there and explain to them. So you might as well do it yourself and at least not expose your information to more people.
0: And there's a a resource that I think a lot of people are not aware of that they may be eligible for help from, and that's the Identity Theft Assistance Center, which is operated um, through contributions by all the major financial institutions. And so if you're an ID theft victim um, and... If the bank that you have a credit card with is a a member of the Identity Theft Assistance Center, you can get a referral from your credit card issuer to that center, um, and you can get free assistance. They're charging
2: now, though, too. I noticed I went to their website because they used to give for free, and now they're charging.
0: Oh, well, they have a separate service.
2: I see, but they'll give you some limited assistance for free. That's
0: right. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, the, they, but they do have a, a, a paid service now, like a lot of these other services that we've been talking about, which offers things like uh, monitoring and so on. Right. But in terms of the victim assistance, um, it's really the same. And um, even if your ID theft problem is not with your credit card doesn't have anything to do with that, if the uh, uh, bank that you have the uh, credit card through is a member of this center, then you can get a referral by it um, to the center for assistance. So I think that before consumers um, buy services, they should look into what services may already be out there that don't cost them anything that they can take advantage of, whether they're um, help from the government or help from these private entities, um, help from um, uh, uh, consumer and privacy organizations. There's help out there that you can get, and we detail that in the report.
2: Right, and, and let's talk about some of those so that my audience can hear that. You know, we're on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and we've even had a lot of graduate students that were victims of identity theft when um, the let's say it was the the health insurance. For a bunch of the graduate students had outsourced to another company and their information was stolen. (laughs) So that was really unfortunate. None of those graduate students were able to uh, get their uh, tax returns. Uh, The refunds were already taken and all sorts of stuff happened. So we've had Quite a bit of identity theft here on the campus. Also, we're in Orange County, and we have tons of identity theft here. So just know that you can go, and I know you have these right here in, in your report as well. And I just want to say what the report name is again. It's called To Catch a Thief, our Identity Theft service w- Services Worth the Cost? And they can get that at your website as well. But I wanted to talk about some of these free services, like the Federal Trade Commission was charged with having um, to help identity theft victims. They can't help you necessarily individually, but they have a website. It's www.ftc.gov, and there is a tremendous amount of help there in terms of what to do, how to do it, even some sample letters. And then, of course, the Identity Theft Resource Center, which is ID Theft. Center.org. I'm on their board and they have wonderful fact sheets and lots of good help and they'll, they'll get on the phone for you for sure and they don't charge you. And then there's the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse and I'm thrilled to be on their board too and that's privacyrights.org. They have great fact sheets and if you're interested in writing to them and speaking to the media about your case, they will help you to get on TV or whatever. And then you have Call for Action. They have trained volunteers as well at callforaction.org. So these are just some of the free things that that I know these places are great. I I work with them. I help them. And so, um, you know, you're right. There's a lot of free information. But the marketing, unfortunately, these nonprofits don't have the money to market like all of these commercial entities. Don't you think
0: that's a big problem? I do. I do. And so people hear about these. Um, Fee based services, but they may not be aware of all the free places that they can go for the same kind of advice and handholding that many of these organi- uh, you know paid services provide.
2: Uh, and so, what did you find? Was the overall or the average cost of of these services?
0: Well, they really varied. Um, we looked at one very narrowly tailored service that was twenty four dollars a year, and uh, the, I think the highest one that we found was something like uh, three hundred and sixty dollars a year, but on average they were one hundred and twenty to one hundred and eighty dollars a year. Um, a lot of times they give their um, uh, fees uh, as a monthly figure, so you really need to multiply by twelve to find out how much this is going to cost you on an annual basis and this is especially important because um, Um, Some of them you can pay as you go, but some of them you pay the whole fee up front. And um, their cancellation policies um, may differ. Some of them um, offer prorated refunds if you cancel. Others don't. So you really need to look at that closely. The other thing that I think is important for consumers to look at is the terms of any free trial offer. This is something where you sign up and you can use the service for a short period of time, like maybe seven days or two weeks or 30 days. Um, And the way that it works is that um, if you don't do anything at the end of the trial period, you automatically start being charged for the subscription service. Um, My concern about that is that many people may not remember that it's time to cancel to avoid being charged. They don't send you a reminder. And the other thing is that you've had the service for such a short time, it's very hard to assess how worthwhile it is, especially for something like an ID theft service. Unless you've happened to become a victim in the 7 or 14 or 30 days that you've um, had the trial service. Um, you really don't know the full extent of uh, what the service does for you, and it's hard to judge whether it's worthwhile.
2: Right, and I always hate that when you know when you don't get a notification like it's time for renewal. They just automatically renew you, and they keep charging your credit card. I hate that kind of service, and I would never, ever sign up for something like that. It, it drives me crazy. You know, the other thing that I always worry about, and, and this is something I have – I've worked with a couple of these companies, and I'm not sure. One of them that I work with that I really think is great. You didn't. I don't think you uh, uh, reviewed, but uh, you wonder who has, um, who is actually doing the restoration. Do you know what I mean? How much uh, information or how much education do they really have? Most of them are not using attorneys, and. Most of them are not even using people who are very well trained because a lot of them come to me and say, I had X service and they weren't helping me. Mari, can you help me? (laughs) And so that's another issue. If it's very simple stuff that you could probably do yourself by filling in the blanks, you know, then... I mean, that's why I created my first Identity Theft Survival Kit, because I thought people don't need me. All they need to do is know what to say, fill in the blanks. And they can do that with my book. They can do that with some of the letters on the Identity Theft Resource Center. They can do that with some of the FTC letters. But the question is, who are they hiring? Who's going to help me? I don't know if you got very deeply into that when you were looking. I didn't really see that in the report, but what about that issue?
0: It's a a really important issue, and it's not something we were able to look at because there's uh, no way that you can assess that simply by um, going to the website or posing as a consumer, calling them to ask questions. I think they'd start to get really suspicious (laughs) since that's not the kind of question that most consumers ask, although it's a very good question. Um, I'm also troubled by the fact that... um, uh, they may not do background checks um, on um, right. who works for them. Uh, I mean, responsible companies will, but um, you can't necessarily count on that. And so in the course of dealing with your ID theft problem, you're, of course, giving all sorts of personal information to somebody and granting them the ability to see other information about you in various places like your credit reports. And you want to be sure that that person isn't a thief.
2: Right. And even if that person isn't a thief, where are they storing this information? You know, sometimes I go on privacy audits and I, w- and I will see companies that really deal with, you know, protecting consumer information. And yet I will see this information just sitting out in a desk with somebody's at lunch. <laughs> and you or or in the afternoon and maybe they leave for the day and this stuff is sitting out and maybe a cleaning crew that turns out to be a fraud ring comes in and takes it. So these are so many things that are again beyond your control. so it's scary when you think you're giving out your social security number again. you're giving out maybe account numbers. you, you talked about perhaps sharing your credit reports with these people. what are they doing to protect it and who are they and w- what training do they have? This is the thing that always drives me nuts, especially when I get calls from people who say, you know, I, I had this service for a year and now they can't help me, Mari. Can you help me? And so that, that's the thing that they need to ask those kinds of questions as well.
0: Well, one thing that I was really gratified about was that when we put our report out, um, we started hearing from some IDCEP services. And um, some of them were very, very positive because they shared the same concerns that we expressed about some of the wild marketing claims that are made, and other problems. And um, so we're planning on exploring, um, uh, working with companies to try to uh, improve this industry. Um, I think that um, for some people, um, paying a company to uh, monitor places that aren't very easy for you to monitor yourself for clues about whether your information is being used fraudulently and I'm helping you if you do have a problem um, could be worthwhile. Um, And that's an individual decision that consumers need to make. But um, we want to make sure that um, some of the more egregious problems that we found can be resolved um, with cooperation by industry players. And and we've also uh, met with the Federal Trade Commission and encouraged uh, the agency to take enforcement action, which it really hasn't done in this area, because uh, that would send a strong signal that um, it's a matter that's going to be taken seriously and they need to clean up their act.
2: Right, because there's a lot of deceptive practices over there. But you're right. I think there are some companies that, that I personally have worked with that I do think that they have trained people, they are very careful with protecting the data that they collect. And so you need to ask those questions and you need to find out really who is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And maybe your, your new group will set up best practices, then people can, and maybe the Federal Trade Commission will also set up best practices and take some action if people aren't, you know, complying with that. And, you know, who knows? We might need laws covering these kinds of things, which would be unfortunate, but I I think it's probably necessary. Um, We are speaking with Susan Grant, who is the Director of Consumer Protection at the Consumer Federation of America. She's wonderful. She's done tremendous work for many, many years. You can find out much more about what they do, and you can even find this report, To Catch a Thief?, are identity theft services worth the cost? You can find that at ConsumerFed.org. Can we switch gears a little bit here and talk about privacy breaches? I know you're concerned about a lot of privacy issues. Um, how do you think a, a company should respond if they find out that they have a breach of sensitive information, of um, consumer-sensitive information?
0: Well, first of all, I think they should let you know. In California, you actually have a law that requires that under certain circumstances, Um, but in some states, consumers don't have that right to be told. And I think it's very important. Um, That way you can um, check your credit report. You uh, can do other things to try to um, uh, find out if somebody is using your information. And the sooner that you act, if somebody is, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to resolve it easily and avoid uh, a long, protracted, and expensive problem. So um, alerting consumers is the first thing. Um, I also think that there should be some liability on the part of the companies and agencies and organizations that hold your information um, to keep it safe and that you should be able to sue them if they don't. Um, Right now, it's very hard for consumers to take action if somebody has been um, negligent with their information. And um, I think that uh, if consumers were more easily able to do that, it would um, give companies um, and others who hold their information greater incentive to safeguard it. Um, And, And, you know,
2: and with regard to that, there have been some lawsuits, and unfortunately, the, the courts don't necessarily understand, I think, how really egregious this is if you find out that your sensitive information, including your social security number, your birthday, your kids' names, all of your account numbers, all of that has been breached. Unless someone is a victim of identity theft, the courts have just been saying, well, you know, there really aren't any damages, so we're not, you know, it's not like, you're, it's a future fear from asbestos. We're not going to look at it like that. And I, and I do think that that's really unfortunate. But they're not taking it as seriously as they should. But I do think that there should be a, a private right of action, and I think that there should be some at least nominal damages for this kind of a thing.
0: I, I agree. And the other um, thing that I think should happen is that uh, when somebody loses your information um, through uh, uh, not safeguarding it adequately, they ought to provide for, at no charge for um, IDCF services to help you. And many companies um, are doing that now if they have breaches. Um, and uh, that leads to the final thing I wanted to talk about, and that is the responsibility of companies that buy ID theft services on behalf of their employees, customers, and so on, either proactively or as a result of a breach, to take a look at the um, services that uh, they're offering and make sure that um, they're um, getting the best value for the money that they're spending on those services, uh, not only for the company or agency or organization that's purchasing them, but for its employees, customers, or whoever is supposed to be benefiting from these services. If they would use their market powers to um, uh, buy services that truly help people, it it would uh, uh, give incentive um, to uh, improve the situation in terms of industry practices.
2: You know, that's that's great to use your, uh, your study because I think your study takes some of the ones that are, that are marketing the most aggressively and shows a, a good comparison of what they're doing. And then maybe if these companies, instead of just getting the best deal possible in terms of saying that, oh, well, we've got LifeLock or we've got A, B, or C, that they really say, we have bought this product for you because this is really going to do something for you. So I think your, your study is wonderful, not only for individual consumers, but like you said, it's so important for these companies that are buying identity theft services after they have a security breach to try and protect their customers. You're absolutely right. Well, we don't have a lot of time. So um, in about one minute, <laughs> I'd like you to tell us uh, your website again. Also, Susan, if you could just tell us, Anything that you'd like us to look at on your website that's most important for us as consumers?
0: Well, if you go to ConsumerFed.org, all one word, ConsumerFed, and then .org, and you click on Other, one of the choices you'll have then is Privacy. And if you click on Privacy, you'll find the press release for this report, you'll find the study itself, and you also find a couple of tip sheets one about things to consider when you're shopping for an ID theft service, and the other about um, some basic things that you can do to minimize the potential for becoming uh, an ID theft victim by safeguarding your information. Um, uh, And there's other information about some of the things that we've talked about today um, concerning issues like online behavioral tracking and targeting, for instance, so um, I'm, I'm hoping that that will be interesting to your listeners. Um, and there's lots of other information about other issues that we're working on on the consumerfed.org website.
2: Well, you're terrific, Susan. We're going to have you back again. Maybe you'll come back next year, do another study that we can talk about, and we will send our audience to consumerfed.org. You're terrific, Susan Grant. Come back again. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every week. Write us an email about what you want to know about for privacy. Check out KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts and you can see our archived interviews. And thank you for joining us. Stay private.